Hello and welcome to the Inclusive Startup Playbook, the new podcast mini-series brought to you by Sifted and Morgan Stanley Inclusive Ventures Lab, the firm's in-house startup accelerator. I'm Anissa Osman-Brisson, Startup Life Reporter at Sifted, and this week I'm joined by Sangam Mitrakara, a mayor head of Morgan Stanley's Inclusive Ventures Group, Nina Bryant, the CEO of Cultmia, and Molly Claypool, CEO of Automated Architecture. Over the next month, we'll be exploring the best ways to build an inclusive, resilient, and sustainable startup. This week, we're talking about how to create a values-driven brand. Being a values-driven company is increasingly important to customers and investors. Sunny Mitchell, welcome to the podcast. Lovely to be here with you, Anisha, and with Nina and Molly. Likewise. And you've got eyes across the startup and investment ecosystem here in Europe and beyond. How have you seen the appetite for values-driven brands change? And actually, let's like roll it back a little bit. How would you actually define a values-driven brand? Yeah, I think for me as an investor, you look for two things, right? Like what is the problem that the company is actually trying to solve? And are these the right people to be solving this problem? And often I find that there's an overlooked question when you're particularly looking at a values-driven brand, which is around why are they solving this problem? The stronger the why, we find that it echoes better across the business itself. I think the appetite for values-driven brands has always been there. It's called different things these days, but I think it's actually fundamental to good business. And that's why for me asking that question on why you're solving this problem is really critical. And we should dive into some of the things that they are actually referred to as we go through this conversation. But before we do, I really want to bring in the startup perspective. So we have Nina, who is the CEO of Cultmia, a sustainable online fashion marketplace, and Molly, who is the CEO of Automated Architecture, a manufacturing platform for affordable and sustainable housing. You both work with supply chains, which is super fascinating. Could you explain what your sustainability values are? I think it's worth clarifying Cultmia's business model when it comes to supply chains. So we're a marketplace, meaning we don't buy or hold any inventory. We list designers on our platform and we take a commission on sales. So when it comes to vetting new brands, we're the only platform in our space that looks both at the product, meaning price, quality, being on trends, everything you would expect a fashion business to look at. But equally important to us are the values that underpin each brand that we onboard. And as a business, we landed on four core values, which are sustainability, social consciousness, minority empowerment, and the protection of local heritage and craft. So all of the brands that we onboard meet at least one of these values. There are no exceptions. And we developed this values-driven brand sourcing strategy with an incredible ESG authority positive luxury, which not only has set us apart from our competition, but gives customers the reassurance that the products that they can buy on Coltmia align with the values that we and they care about while meeting the luxury level standards. We are working in construction, one of the most unsustainable industries in the world, right? It contributes almost 40% of all global carbon emissions. Parallel to that, housing, which is the sector that we work in, is the most unaffordable it's ever been. So we're working primarily with this notion of sustainability and affordability need to be pinned together. And if we zoom in even more closely to the UK housing sector, if we continue to build the way that we have been for the last century, really since 
or even longer than that, really since the industrial revolution, we're going to use up the entire 1.5 degree carbon budget of the UK in building just housing alone. So building as usual requires an immediate and very radical rethink, not just of how we build, but also the materials that we build with so that we can secure a pathway for housing that's affordable and sustainable for the near future and for the future of generations to come. And it's really this urgency that underlines our values and how we incentivize our customers. Essentially, what we say is that our customers who are buying a kind of end-to-end product from us for the design, manufacturing, and installation of low-energy homes, that we have to enable them to be able to hit the affordability metrics, but also the sustainability metrics, which is currently impossible if we build as usual. Sanmito, maybe you can talk to this a little bit. Do you think it's really important that companies that you're seeing from your bird's eye perspective to have these values across sustainability? Sustainability is broad, right? Like doing good for the planet or making sure that, you know, you reduce inequalities. And to a large extent, that's the world we have to be inheriting and living in. And most of this, we need to make sure that most companies are able to capture that value system to come through as they are building products for the future. And and it could be a product, as in the case of Molly, who's speaking here, but also in the case of services that we might be providing. And capturing that value system, for me, is actually a big part of thinking about building good products and communicating clearly with your consumers, which actually turns into ROI. And so it is quite essential from just capturing those components in. Like you mentioned earlier, there are lots of different ways that people talk about values and sustainability, so much so that we hear this term greenwashing, where people know that this sells now. So is there a way of ensuring that people are actually being sustainable? For example, is there a regulated body or a gold standard that people should be following? So at least in the UK, there's been recently implemented a rule in planning called Part L, and that requires that all new built housing is sustainable. And that means that companies, in order to continue to stay alive as contractors and home builders, have to shift towards more sustainable supply chains to stay in business. So there is an incentivization even in the planning law, but this, you know, can enable uh, greenwashing to continue because you can see how there's different metrics for how you how you measure what a low energy home is. Is it in the materials that you're using um, and therefore primarily in the sequestration of carbon or is it in the performance of the building? And so there's a really interesting conversation happening about how to enable the adoption of more sustainable practices while also being able to get a standard for what that measurement and metric needs to be. Nina, I'd love to hear your perspective from an industry that is infamous for greenwashing. The word sustainability in fashion is incredibly broad. And like you mentioned, there are concerns around greenwashing. At Coltmia, the approach we take is there are some clear hard no's that I think we can all get behind, but there's also a realistic approach to sustainability. And what we like to see is a clear path to making improvements along your ESG journeys rather than a pivot from zero to 100 from the onset, which won't be sustainable and also most likely won't be meeting those commercial investor goals at the same time. So I think the gold standard has to be level set by the size of the business. It has to be level set by realistic 
timelines to meet certain objectives. And I think, especially when you're a smaller business, there are people that have dedicated their careers towards setting the right milestones, the right measures to monitor sustainability and making sure that you're reaching out to them for the appropriate guidance before you have a full-fledged ESG team in-house. I think sustainability in fashion is changing every day. We're all working towards defining what that gold standard should be over time. But I think it's really positive to see that it is top of mind. I've heard the term ESG mentioned a few times now in this conversation. And so for our listeners, would you mind explaining what it is and how it actually works? I can just pick up on that to give a kind of high level example of how all letters in ESG kind of work within our. So for example, one of the biggest questions in construction is the question of labor. Labor in construction is typically known as being very dirty, dangerous jobs. It also has an aging workforce where there's not enough young people coming into construction in order to build the kinds of homes and spaces and environments that we need. And so one of the mechanisms that we've used to begin to address that problem is to design ways of working that enable the younger generation to have better forms of work that they're doing, safer, healthier, et cetera, and also be able to onboard the aging demographic into new kinds of jobs that enable them to either work for longer or be able to work in a way that's better for their body as they age. So there's an underlying thing there around how do you actually bring those two things together. And then one of the other ways that we have run projects in the past is that we have run a very flat hierarchy in the way that we make decisions not just within the company itself, but with our partners as well. So we run a very holistic process when we onboard new partners and customers that enables us to really think, how do we control our values and how do we disseminate our values in a very holistic and end-to-end way across the entire value chain of um, building a house? And that has enabled us, I think, to prove that it's possible to hit the sustainability targets, the future of work targets, and also the kind of diversity targets and who actually has a say in how we are developing the forms of technology that we've got within our product. It's a broad topic. It's, I think, evolving every day. And, and for me, the shorthand is all stakeholders in your community really making sure that you're operating and doing things as responsibly as possible. And if you think about the Coltmia business, E and S tie into our selection process, our vetting process. And I think The G for us is really powerful when you think about the number of brands that we're working with. We've vetted more than a thousand brands since we've started. The resources and and education that they have when it comes to ESG, this kind of governance principle can go a long way in terms of sharing those best practices and, and really bringing the ESG framework to like the forefront of everything that these emerging designers are doing. And that way, when they're bigger brands, hopefully, those strong pillars are in place. So the values that we have as a company perfectly align with these three letters in terms of our day-to-day operations, in terms of our selection process, in terms of how customers can discover and shop brands on the website. I think both are intertwined, but have their own place. I'm really curious to understand how as companies and maybe as individuals too, you're thinking about keeping yourselves accountable because as businesses grow, as more investors come on and the pressure for a liquidation event starts to become more and more high, how do you ensure you are continuing to do this work? Do you have a way of monitoring it? Do you have a measuring sort of system? Tell us more about that. 
one of the primary materials that we use is timber. And timber has a perception bias, I would say, around being an unsustainable material because we're cutting down forests. Uh, let's say that's the high-level perception bias in, in mainstream media. In actuality, the vast majority of um, forest tim forested timber is sustainably managed. So we try and make that um, supply chain as transparent as possible so that we can ensure that our customers feel comfortable with the adoption of a regenerative material that has that perception bias against it. And that means that we have to vet all of our suppliers. And it's as simple as asking for their certification, which we do with everyone that we work with. And we also work with a number of other biomaterials that are certified biomaterials that we integrate into our platform so that we have our customers be able to understand where those materials are coming from, where they're being imported from, how they're being um, provided, what are the manufacturing processes behind them, et cetera. And then on the other side, one of the things that we're starting to do within the company is get all the materials and processes in place for B Corp certification, which could be arguably one of the ways that we can, as a company, ensure that we have those values embedded from the very beginning. We're still a very early stage company. And I think it's from, it's starting at that kind of baseline as early on and allowing yourself to build from that and keeping yourself accountable. That's most important. And we have the opportunity to do that now because we still are early stage. And I think that's one of the great pleasures of being an early stage company is that you can build the company that you want to see succeed. For those who don't know, could you explain what B Corp actually is? So B Corp is a certification that you can get as a company that basically says that you are inclusive and sustainable. It tracks you against your social and environmental impact. And the application process is pretty rigorous. And it basically states that you meet the standards of kind of accountability and transparency across your business and processes. Nina, how are you thinking about accountability? So we also have a very rigorous vetting process that we built with Positive Luxury, which you can maybe consider to be along the same lines of a B Corp certification process where your whole business is, is evaluated and we received the butterfly mark for the sustainable sourcing strategy that we put into place. And we go through not just seeing if our suppliers, our brands are certified, but you know exactly the materials that they use. What are their labor policies? What's their animal welfare policy? Everything is scored. So it's very much a quantitative approach. There's a baseline entry to be able to join the platform. And then our brands get tiered into different buckets. And those buckets receive certain recommendations as to how they can make improvements along that tiering journey. And they're incentivized to do so through non-monetary incentives. So for example, brands, if they make improvements into the next tier, will get a free newsletter spotlight or better e-com placement. So very much encouraging brands to grow with us in a sustainable direction. Another way that we stay accountable is just looking at our brand portfolio. We have four core values. And right now, 49% of our brands tick our local heritage box. 32% are socially conscious, 65% are environmentally friendly, and 75% empower minorities. We have thresholds, so each value must have at least 30% or more. And that has been a really interesting guiding principle when it comes to making decisions on which designers to prioritize bringing on board more quickly and making sure that we're really spreading our net and covering the four values that we care about most. Sangamitra, I'm really curious. You see lots of early stage companies. 
Do you think these companies should be thinking about their values from the beginning and how should they be ensuring that these are kind of built in from the company from day one? What I find and we've across the last seven years since we've been operating as a part of this accelerator program, we've seen about 90 odd companies that we've invested in. And actually looking at that portfolio is really interesting. And some of the strongest companies that we've have, some of the most successful companies that we have, have this value almost inbuilt into them. And I find that the brands that are truly taking into account what their value system is, really condensing it and understanding what they want to be representing, tend to build better brands. They tend to do much better with managing their workforce. They tend to have a much stronger governance. And all in all, as an investor, for me, that's actually really good because then it is an ROI just because of what they're actually building. I want to talk about the wider team at this point then, and more specifically, the board. Let's go back to that point of it being really high pressure at points. You need to pay your staff. You need to ensure you're going to run for another few years. And again, you need to return money to your investors. What is the role of your board in holding you accountable to your values? I would say a lot of it has come down so far into making sure that there's elements of our values, not just built into our articles, but also into the shareholders agreement. So really thinking about how how we expand the board, at what point do we see the need to bring in an external chairman who sits in that role versus somebody from within the company or someone externally? How do we source that person? That for us is something that I'm thinking about now around how do we keep our values within the company? The other thing to say is that I think there's a kind of secret within the startup world, which is that you underestimate what you're going to be able to deliver (laughs) to your board so that you are always able to have space and time to evaluate if you are still making the right decisions and then be able to over deliver. And I think that that's something for us that has been a massive learning experience within my company. We come from a very different sector. I come from academia originally. And there's always um, the kind of big vision is always put really in your face there. And then you kind of begin to back it up. There's a very speculative practice within academia. And even though there's still speculative practice within venture capital, it also really needs to be around expectation setting. So I've had to be really clear with the people who are joining our board around what is the expectations that they have for our performance and how do I see us being able to instill those into the way that we run that board into the way that we build in the shareholders agreement certain aspects of our values and the way that we begin to grow the company in relationship to those values. I think um, boards have a responsibility to ensure companies deliver on their mission statement and they have governance responsibilities, which I think should include ESG. For Colt Mia, our board will look at risk management and holding me accountable to our strategic goals. One of our strategic goals, probably our most important strategic goals, is bringing our value system to our stakeholders. So I think this setup very much feeds into accountability, both commercially and from an ESG standpoint. The key thing I find, and this happens again and again, as you're running a business, you are in the nitty-gritty of running the business. And it's every day, every, the grind of it does take a toll on you. Having a board and actually giving them here are the set of values that I believe in 
is that space I find where as senior executives, you can actually go and feel like, okay, these people's job is to remind me that these are the things that are most important. And having that accountability is actually really, really helpful. It takes you out of looking at everyday execution mode into the big strategic questions that are important to be asked. And when set up correctly and when managed well and actually managing a board as along with your stakeholders does take time and energy. And so once you input it, you can get a lot out of that. It, you know, at, at the startup levels, there's a lot of connections, etc., that are actually really helpful from your board members. But most importantly, it's that accountability and how they can make sure that they just remind you of the things that you promised yourself. I love that. I love that we covered all the different perspectives at different stages, which kind of brings me to my last question, which is you are both Nina and Molly growing your companies at this stage. How are your values affecting who you're thinking of taking money from? Does it have an impact on who you're looking at as investors? Absolutely. I wouldn't take money from someone who opposes Coltmius values. And I think investors due diligence founders and founders should do their best to due diligence investors including their value systems and value systems will seep into ongoing relationships with an investor it's not just ESG perspective but it will also impact the manner in which investors treat their founders most likely and if I look at our three most notable investors from the seed round we closed in October Morgan Stanley's inclusive venture lab aligns perfectly with our values this was one of my key call-outs in the application process. The lab focuses on lifting up underrepresented founders, and at Coltmia, we do the same with small emerging and independent brands. Fuel Ventures has a great track record of ensuring accessibility to fuel for communities that have historically been underrepresented in venture. And then we have the Chanel family back us as well, where David Wertheimer specifically has an investment thesis around backing the sustainable brands of the future. So I really focused on my fundraising strategy around making sure that each investor I brought on board resonated with one of our core values focus because I felt that it was really important to ensure that we were aligned on values. We didn't receive pushback on values. And that way you're kind of less pressurized to maybe make trade-offs that impact your values for commercial goals that investors might seek out more so than backing the values that you believe in. Having said that, we just closed around and I think we were lucky to do so. So I'm sure that this can vary depending on on the financial position. But obviously you want to only accept money from those who share your values, right? I mean, we were quite keen on being able to know who the LPs in our funds that we brought on board were. So our lead investor, Miles Ahead Capital, we have met all of the LPs and the vast majority of them are exited founders. They take as a fund a very hands-on approach. And we really knew that we had that transparency into who was actually providing the funding for our company's expansion. And then simultaneously to that, we were very careful to essentially accept funds from people working across the value chain that we also are working in. So we have Nic- Nicholas Bariel, who's a, the CEO of Revive, which is a sustainable um, development company, B Corp status, that only develops housing on brownfield sites. So there's an element of um, rehabbing the earth that um, uh, is part of their ethos. 
Um, and we also have others in the sustainability and climate tech space, as well as in the supply chain space. So for us, that having that kind of ecosystem that matches every element of our business is, is really important. And being part of an inclusive ventures lab has allowed us to enter into the startup ecosystem surrounded by other founders that also share those values. And as other founders will know, that ecosystem of founders is actually one of the most valuable things that you can build for yourself as a founder. Um, and being able to be around people that share those values with you at this stage of our business is really important as well. Amazing. Nina, Modi, Sangamisha, thank you so, so much. This was such a fascinating conversation. And I think our listeners are going to gain so much from it. So really appreciate you being here. If you want to hear more about the inside working of Europe's startups, explore the latest workplace trend and read helpful resources, you can sign up to our Startup Live newsletter, co-written by me and Miriam Partington. And make sure you tune into our podcast next week where we'll be discussing how to hire inclusively. 